We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Let's get and have a seat. How appropriate, Jesus, you are Lord of all. That's where we're going today. Well, hi, I'm Peter, one of the elders here. And it's my privilege to share the word with you this morning. I want to start with just a little story. It's a love story. Uh, both Faith and I were involved with Campus Crusade for Christ on our college campuses, now known as Crew. But we were trained in evangelism and discipleship, leading Bible studies, following up um, with new believers or those questioning. There were weekly meetings. I mean, it was the whole thing, and we were in it as deep as you could be. It was awesome. And I knew from that experience, I am serving Christ my whole life. Thought it would be in pastoral ministry, the Lord closed doors and opened up other doors, and here, I'm a teacher. So I've been teaching for 30 years. I teach high school. I just want you to know, I love students, and I love teaching, and uh, I know it's summer, but we got some work to do this morning. I'm excited. Well, Faith and I were married in 1993, and she got a job, and I figured, eh, I could find a teaching job anywhere, so I moved to where she had found a job. At the Christian school, a position, the requirement was that you attend a particular church. New city, new church. Hey, let's just go all new. I had no idea what I was getting into. And so we go to all the, the get-to-know-you kind of meetings. And, and one day they were talking about their outreach ministry, evangelism. And we were like, yeah. And they put up their, their numbers. These are our decisions of decisions for Christ for this year. And it was in the thousands, like 2,000 something. And I was like, well, first, I admit skeptical. I thought, well, where are, are these people? I mean, I was really questioning. And they, they said, oh, no, the Spirit's been moving. So join us. Our next outreach will be on such and such a date. So we showed up. We're like, okay. Um, so we broke up into groups, hopped on a bus, went into the city and spread out. And I was in a, a group and the lady leading our group, we ran across um, some children playing on a playground and she walked up to them and we kind of stood a little bit back praying and, and uh, she said, Hey, you children want to go to heaven? And a couple of the kids said, well, yeah. And others were standoffish, but, and then she gave them a card. Well, Pray this prayer. That was it. And we were, with our background, we were expecting a little bit different experience. It shocked us. Where did she get the idea that we say these words like they're magic words? And I mean, prayer is good for sure. I, I like that part. But it just did not set right with us. 
What we were expecting to hear was something along the lines that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. But sin separates us from God. We have all sinned. We, in Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation. The good news is that Christ came. He bridged that gap. He's reached out to us. And our key verse today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised the dead, Romans 9. And that verse has been misunderstood and misapplied. Probably was the verse that this good-hearted lady was referring to. But it's bad theology. I just realized that the Scott Ratliff, you're still here, and we have children's church that should have been starting by now. And I just want to give you guys the green light. Good. Your children's church, I think you're covering God's sovereignty and man's responsibility today, right? That was a joke. We're kind of going there. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, go ahead. My fault. <laughs> okay. Bad theology leads to sloppy decisions. Um, how could a person arrive at that? I mean, I remember in college, I was supposed to write an essay. And the, the writing class professor, he said, okay, here's your topic. And I had to go find some books. I found some books. And think I intended to read them. Really, I didn't really read them. I remember scouring them for quotes that I could weave into an eloquent essay. I turned it in. And uh, he uh, gave it back to me and he highlighted some things. He said, um, I read that book and you took that out of context. And you cited that interview. I actually saw that interview and you misrepresented what that person was saying. I, oh my gosh. Well, this worked in high school. It's not working in college. I'm a math science guy, I don't write essays really good, so. Sloppy, wasn't it? Sloppy on my part. We don't want to do that with scripture. Have our own opinion how we think it ought to be and go find some verses that kind of say that. It's sloppy. So good theology is important now, as a relatively new elder, this is an area where I've really been stretched in. Because for years, there's things I didn't really understand that well. And, oh, well, that's kind of a tough one. Eh, next topic. And, and I would sort of pick and choose stuff I really wanted to be interested in, things that were too hard for me or were challenging, didn't really have to work hard on. That's been the biggest area of growth for me as, as an elder you don't have that luxury. What we're going to do this morning is take a look at Romans chapter 10, 5 through 15. We're going to take a look at the context, who the author is, who he's talking to, and figure out what he meant. 
And what did those hearers hear? Because that's what it means. That's what it meant then. That's what it means now. That's what it will mean tomorrow. I think I should pray. So let's do that. Let's pray for the, the Lord to open our hearts and our minds. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word revealed to us. Help us to handle it rightly. You are Lord over it. You're Lord of our lives. I pray that you would use this time this morning. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, told you I was a teacher, right? So we gotta, we, we're going to use our tools. There's a couple of places we need to be in Scripture today. Well, I already told you one. Romans 10, so let's find that. Your phone would work. Go ahead, get your Bible app out. We're going to be in two places. You can even go online, have one tab for Romans 10, and then the other one is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So two places. I'll wait for you. Go ahead. Some sort of a marker, post-it note, a pen, a thumb. You have a reading plan. That'll work as a good bookmark, right? Romans 10, 5, and Deuteronomy 30, 11. Quick pop quiz. Who remembers when we started going through the book of Romans? Was it this year or last year? Ooh, it's September. September, yes. Good job. So we've been doing this a while. Going slow, chapter by chapter, expositional preaching. And what that means is, we don't like pick topics and find verses. It's, this is what it says. And so Mike lays out the, the schedule, and uh, it falls to me during this passage. And when I first saw the passage, I got excited. Oh, yeah, confess with your mouth, believe with your heart. And then there's parts in there that's like, thanks a lot, Mike. This is hard. So it's been hard, but good and worth it. All right, so let's take a look at Romans 10, 5 through 15. Oops, I forgot. I, I forgot about context. Um, I mentioned September. It's been good and worth it, right? So what have we covered so far? We started out with the bad news, because that's going to make the good news so much sweeter. Now the audience, Jews and Greeks, so Gentiles and people who grew up learning the law and applying the law, living the law, doing the best they can. And then Jesus came and changed everything. Now Paul, never, he, he never got to visit Rome. So this, this book is a letter rich in doctrine. What's some of the bad news? Let's recap. Being Jewish doesn't save you. Being circumcised doesn't save you. Keeping the law doesn't save you. 
In fact, we've all fall short of the glory of God. 3.23. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Well, then, so what is it? Well, in 3.28, we are justified by faith. By faith, apart from the law. And in Romans 8, that sweet chapter, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you can put to death the deeds of the body. Because the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Not the other way around. Where we clean up our act first. And then come. We come by faith. And then we saw in 8 and 9, uh, election. The doctrine of election. Faith is a gift from God. Early in my walk with Jesus, there was a, a memory verse that I learned. I had no idea how great this verse would turn out to be. How helpful it would be. Because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 takes all that, puts it in one verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God that no man should boast. So, faith is a gift. So all that leads into this passage. All right, let your eyes fall on Romans chapter 10. Verse 5. We're going to go verse by verse. We're breaking down the whole into parts, and then we'll put it back to the whole later, okay? Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, this was something very familiar to that audience. You know, when you have a choice, uh, blessing and cursing, life or death, here's the law, now obey it, and you'll live. Or don't, and they'll be cursing. I mean, that's, that was a familiar passage, and it's uh, what I wrote down, Leviticus. Um, it's in Leviticus 18.5. Very commonly quoted passage. And then he was on to verse 6. And this is where it got a little weird for me. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Uh, what did I just read? I think you're not a heretic if you read that and say, what is that? Um, and Well, I had to learn it. It helps to know what he was quoting. So that's why I had you go to Deuteronomy. Ready? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Let's, I want to read it. I want you to follow along, okay? For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it. 
Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it that we may hear it. I mean, Moses is standing right there. He has just explained to them the law. He says, it's not far off. I'm right here in front of you. I'm telling you. And they wrote it down, too, because we're reading it. And so if Paul's quoting that, that's familiar to them. They know that passage. But he does some little, he does one detail, one clever detail. Let's look at back to Romans again. I'm sorry, just flip back. It's good. Chapter, I mean, uh, verse 6, he says, but the righteousness based on faith says. So he has replaced, he has replaced the commandment for this commandment that I command you. He has replaced the law with righteousness based on faith. This message that he's been preaching. It's not too far from you. I'm right here telling it to you. Pastor John MacArthur has a a nice commentary on that. I thought this was really helpful to me. Righteousness based on faith does not require some impossible odyssey through the universe to find Christ. The Living Bible. Uh, When I first came to Christ, it was the early 80s. Everybody had a Living Bible, which is a paraphrase. Anyone have a Living Bible? Okay, none of the young people brought that up. Okay, Living Bible, what it's really good for is paraphrasing and give you the gist of things. It's not a great uh, translation if you want to get technical and really get to the heart of what a particular word means. But for its purpose, it was super valuable. So listen to this. The salvation that comes through faith says, you don't need to search the heavens to find Christ and bring him down to help you. You don't need to go among the dead to bring Christ back to life again. The word, trusting Christ, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Which leads us to verse 8, because he says, but what does it say? And now he exactly quotes it here. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. And he defines that word. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This message that he's proclaiming, the word of faith. It's not a word, it's a message. And now here we are in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's think about that for a minute. I mean, when I first heard the gospel and someone said, confess that Jesus is Lord. For me, first, that was intellectual. Like, okay, he's Lord. He's in charge. What did that mean to the audience that day? The Jews. Let's think about that. Who was was Jesus to them? This is quite a confession. To say that Jesus is Lord requires asserting deity to him. And that was their main offense with him. When Jesus said that I and the Father are one, they wanted to arrest him. They didn't respect his birth, Nazareth, nowheresville. 
son of a carpenter. They didn't even acknowledge his virgin birth. They wanted a Messiah that would be a military leader. They certainly didn't want a servant king. They finally arrested him, tortured him, and hung him on a cross. They hated him. To say that Jesus is Lord is huge to that audience. What's it like in our audience, in our culture, to say Jesus is Lord? Well, what, what do they say Jesus is? Well, if they're being charitable, they would say, good teacher. Or they'd say, weak. Good luck charm. Maybe a mythical person. Who knows? Who do you say? When you say he is Lord, for a Christian, well, that, that title, Lord, let's think about it. He is in authority. Okay? So, here's an example. If the Lord reveals, say, a critical spirit to you, You've been critical with someone. He says that's not godly. Um, you then can submit that attitude to him. And that submission is repentance. A few years ago, I was counseling a young man. He was feeling really guilty about using his phone inappropriately. You could tell he was torn up about it, near tears. We talked for a while and talked about forgiveness, confession, and uh, you know some tips on kind of how I handle my phone. And go, oh, I've done that. It just just doesn't last very long. And I said, What if you gave your phone to your parents for three weeks? Because you can't handle it right now. His eyes got big. Oh, I can't do that. Was that submission? Has he submitted his phone under the lordship of Jesus? No. Is that repentance? If there's no submission. Submission's repentance. When a Jewish person says, Jesus is Lord, you're submitting to that thing that was the stumbling block for your people. That's repentance. During the school day, I use the word Lord a lot. This is kind of how the, how, um, the Lord has been using this in my life this week. And I'm not like saying everyone needs to think about it this way. This is just how I'm being dealt with. Like throughout the day, I'll say, oh Lord, help me with this. Lord, what should I say? What should I do here? And sometimes it's just, oh Lord. And I've just been thinking that when I say Lord, I'm it's like a nickname almost, a casual nickname. And it really doesn't give him the honor he deserves. He's Lord. He's above all. But in my mind, I just, Lord, Lord. I, I'm not saying that's a, a, 
this is just me, right? I'm just wrestling with this, and I think it's healthy for me to think about that. So I'm not telling you to go, stop saying Lord. I'm just, he is the Lord. That's what I'm telling you. That's a confession that we need to make. Well, this word of faith passage that Paul's referring to, the confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is, is only halfway. The other half is believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Can you fake belief? You can fool me. What if I said, I would like to, uh, I, the moon is cheese. Let's say, let's announce that one. The moon is cheese. And I, I'll give you, Steve, I'll give you $100 if you would say out loud that the moon is cheese. Would he do it? Well, probably. It's kind of a silly thing. Yeah, you might. So you're easy, 100 bucks. He might hold out for 500 bucks or maybe 1,000. And eventually somebody will say, the moon is cheese, you were coerced into doing so. Doesn't mean you believe that the moon is cheese. On the more sobering side, if you were tortured to recant a belief or to say something you don't believe, uh, under torture, who knows, you probably could be coerced to say just about anything. That doesn't mean you believe it. Believing that Jesus raised from the dead is like the moon is cheese to the world around you. Do you believe it? I mean, for real. When the heart believes... The mouth confesses. Much like faith and works. If there's faith, works will be evident. It doesn't work the other way around. I do works. That means I have faith. Well, it's expressed. That's what I mean. The truly saved will always manifest an expression of their new life in Christ. Now, this verse, this, this believe and confess to a person who's being sloppy or casual or not paying attention, you might take it to mean, oh, I got to say something and I got to do something and then I'm good. That's not what this passage is saying. <laughs> Belief is real. Confession follows and that confession is repentance. Now in verse 10, let's go there. It says the same thing, but in the order in which it actually happens. Heart first, confession follows. With a heart one believes and is justified. With a mouth one confesses. Well, I made the joke about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility as the kids were leaving. And we have 
the word sovereignty right over up there. Um, and we know that that faith is a gift. But this sure sounds like something that we're supposed to do. Okay, so you're normal if you read that and that's what it sounds like. It is. It is something you're supposed to do. There is a confession. And there is a belief. Now, I like to figure things out. I like to analyze things. It's how I'm wired. And this is hard for me to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I, I think if you wrestle with that, you're normal. Okay? But there's certain things we, we know are true. We know faith is a gift from God. And we also know that there's something we're supposed to do. So for me, it's pretty clear what I should do. I'm going to do that. And when I'm reading passages about God's sovereignty and his election and his, his gift to me, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, God. So I was... Um, there was a time in my life when I was really struggling with trying to figure all this out. And I came across string theory. Any physics geeks out there? Just curious. Okay, one. Yeah, yeah. And so, ah, oh, one guy, yes. So I, I remember getting really excited. That man, maybe this is how it all works. I'm not going to go into string theory. Don't worry. Um, I was really trying to figure that out. It was a stumbling block for me. How do I know if I am doing something because I'm predestined to do it or because I realize, I recognize, and, I, and then I go do it? Like I, I confess, I believe. I have no idea. I mean, I don't, how would I know the difference? How would me as a person know the difference between what God is doing in me or what I'm suddenly understanding? So from my standpoint, that's where I am so far. <laughs> I give God thanks for his sovereignty, and I respond when it is clear that I, I need to do something. And I trust him with the rest. Now, if you have questions beyond that, Pastor Mike, he's your guy. <laughs> no. But that's a normal thing to wrestle with. Okay, that's not a sin to wrestle with that. Okay, so we can talk more about that if you like. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I remember when I heard the gospel the first time. Ellis Johnson was his name. He was like, I don't know, six foot six. He was huge, bald, and he was the worship leader in our church. When he would raise his hands, his hands would like touch the ceiling. He was, well, kind of funny looking, if you can say that. But to him, he's beautiful. To me, he's beautiful. He shared the gospel. It was vacation Bible school, 11 years old. He told me the truth about my sin. 
And guys, I'd been through junk. I had plenty of reason to blame everything on other people. I still sinned. And he didn't hide that from me. I'm so grateful. He explained that I was lost without Christ and that Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin. And he wanted me to know him. Well, I wanted to know God. So to me, Ellis's feet are beautiful. Now, my, my faith was very young at that time. I was talking to my children at the dinner table about how much faith do you need? What, what's the amount of faith to, that you need to be saved? And I'm just sort of wrestling with how I could phrase that, or even if that's an appropriate question. And one of my kids said, one of my sons said, well, the amount that he gives you. It really hit home for me. Faith is not an intellect knowing about. That can inform your faith and can help strengthen your faith. But faith is a gift. It's not just some knowledge. In children's church, if they're old enough to talk, listen and respond... They're old enough to learn. We can tell them the truth about sin, about Jesus. They're asking some deep questions over there. Like, what if you've become a Christian? You love Jesus, but I haven't been baptized yet. And, and Jesus comes back again to take us back up to heaven. When I go to heaven... What a great question. Children's church, that's where it's at. So we get to talk about that. You know? Another question was about how Catholics take communion. Like, these are deep questions. This six years old. I'm like, whoa. Good stuff. Okay, let's bring, it, let's bring it home here. Have you responded in faith by believing and confessing? Not the knowing about part. Believing and confessing. Believing for real. Confessing out loud with your mouth. Maybe today's your day. Trusting Christ is as near as your own mouth and heart. It's right here. It's not far from you. Have you already trusted Christ as your Savior? Are your feet beautiful to someone? Have you shared the gospel message with another? Now I teach in a public school. It's like the opportunities to preach the gospel are not plentiful. But I have a co-teacher, and I'm praying for him. It starts with prayer, because then I listen better. I listen better. It's less about me telling him stuff than me speaking into his life. And he opens up a little bit more each time.
I remember in Campus Crusade how we were taught to share, taught to listen and steer a conversation so we could share the gospel. And then you, you let the results lie with God. You didn't push for, no, you got to say this thing right now. But you've got to communicate the gospel. I love that. Now, our culture's changed a little. So I'm no longer trying to hijack a conversation to sneak in the four spiritual laws. I'm listening better. Well, I think we need a time of worship. Just think about what has been said today. Is this your day to respond to the gospel? To confess him? Is this your day to repent for not praying for another person that you could share with? Can I say it that strongly? How are they to believe unless they hear? That's the way it works. So, oh, strong stuff. I hope that wasn't too heavy. I hope that you receive that with joy. That's the word of God. It's been... It's been changing me all week long. I want to pray while I do so. Let's have the musicians. I think we're singing some more. I want to challenge you not to be in a hurry to leave. Is the Lord stirring in you? And you can respond with people around you. You can come on up. I'll be right over here in this vicinity, my wife and I. Pastor Mike's over here. So let's pray together, shall we? Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you love us so much that you work faith in our hearts. And yet you ask us to respond. I pray this truth would hit home, Lord, as you just work in us, all of us, at some level. I love you, Lord. I believe that you are real. And that you are raised from the dead and dwelling in me. In Jesus' name.